0: Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. You know what I'm going to say. We need you to click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Throw us the price of a fancy cup of coffee and maybe a scone once a month and help us keep this show on the road. And you get piles and piles of extras, including our exclusive interview with the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, which is out there right now. It's one of 1,300 podcasts, all available plea-free, In one consolidated podcast feed, you never miss an episode, whether it be Echo, Reboot, Glow West, and our regular Sunday shows. There's no long-term contract, so maybe just try it for a month, see what you think, and if you don't like it, cancel it. Rory always says it's more than a podcast, it's activism. Think of this as the easiest bit of activism you can do on a monthly basis. That couple of quid that you, you give us helps us have those conversations and keep this space open for topics and subjects that deserve that bit more time that you can get on a podcast without rushing to news, traffic and travel. So one more time, click the link, patreon.com forward slash tortoise Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and a little bit of a chest infection but it's not as bad. I'm I'm trying to shift it but it's not as bad trying to shift my co-host Martin McMahon. Martin how are you?
1: Okay, at least I'm not terminal, Tony. Are you, buddy? Oh my God! Please, we move. It's too. It's too early in the
0: podcast to get so d- dark. And yet here he is, folks. Uh, look, we we promise it will actually get a bit more bleaker from here. You know what is it from from darkness to bleak? Uh, but look, we are delighted to be rejoined on the podcast by listener favorite. By but make no mistake, one of the favorites of the people who we come on regularly and gives us their insights. Uh, and but. What we alternatively now we're going to call him our royal correspondent, Professor Richard Murphy, has decided to join us. Richard, how are you keeping?
2: Your royal <laughs> correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> this, this podcast could have a very short duration at this it, rate. It mate. was a
1: toss up. I was going to start with the New Jerusalem, or he said we'll go with royal correspondent. It couldn't <laughs> be neither one.
0: No, uh Richard, look, first of all, uh it's it's nice to talk to you again from uh from the, the new the 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 newly instated uh, monarchy uh, and it was interesting to watch it uh and, and I have to say I didn't actually watch a minute of it, but watch people you know reactions to it all in the meantime what was going on was the local elections were happening and we were you know i know you're a keen observer of british politics can i ask you before we get into some of the other things just what was your takeaway from the the results in in general your your overview of the results
2: last thursday we had local elections in the uk Remember, these are only a snapshot because it's not all councils, it's not all seats even then in all councils where there are elections. So it's an odd insight into what's going on. But, saying that, the Tories had a disastrous time. They lost nearly a thousand seats, about the worst outcome that they could have predicted, against a base from 2019 where they were already unpopular. That's the one certain thing from the local elections. Who had a good night? Well, the Greens had a good night. They took a council for the first time ever with a majority in mid-Suffolk. Now, for those who know UK geography, and I do know UK geography because I was born in Suffolk, um, look, it's not the place where you expect revolutions to start. It's most certainly not the place where you expect there to be a political sea change. And the Greens have really become the dominant party um in that area. So this is quite extraordinary um that they are actually knocking the Tories out in rural England. And this is deep rural England. So there's something weird going on there. It's very specific to that part of the world, but it's still quite extraordinary. They had a great night and they did well elsewhere. The Liberal Democrats had a good night, that's the supposed centre party, but frankly now to the left of Labour on most issues, and they had a good night, taking a lot of councils and 300-plus seats. Labour took 400-plus seats, so you should say they were the overall winners. Well, I don't think they were, because at the end of the night the forecast was that they had come out with an overall lead if this was a parliamentary election of 7-8% to over the Tories and that's not enough for them to form a government. So, there is one echo a lot of reservation in the UK voting population. A about the Tories who they can't stand, and B about Labour as an alternative. So C, they're looking the Liberal Democrats and the Greens, and they're proving that if they need to, they're going to vote tactically on the basis of ABC. Anything but conservative, but maybe ABCL, anything but conservative and Labour, because frankly no one knows what Labour's about anymore.
1: I have to agree with you. I mean, what is Labour about anymore? And we have the same problem here in Ireland. What is Labour? Um, in the UK, Labour certainly used to be the party of the workforce. Um, but they have changed their ethos and now the party of the working person. And the workforce is not always the working person. That's that's where they fall down. That's the gap in both, both Labour parties. That is the huge gap.
0: Richard, you actually asked the question on your on your Twitter feed about what, what what do Labour stand for now. And I actually saw one of our listeners here uh, reply to you. I don't know if you spotted it. And he said, uh, say, same as always, a bulwark against the left and the status quo maintenance crew. And I thought that was, you know, uh, there's parts of that are unfair. I don't doubt that there's elements of Labour that remain of the left. But the status quo maintenance crew is a pretty good um way to sum up what what Keir Starmer's labor has been kind of about you know uh let's not spook anybody and let's say to everybody that should we get in we'll do all of these things that we're not going to actually campaign on uh and you're you know you're really it doesn't really it's not you know elections are fought on two things uh, stability or change and you know I, it, the Keir Starmer thing seems to be like stability um but but less of a thing. But one of the so before we spend too much time on, on the Labour Party, I do think one thing that is interesting from an Irish perspective, it's important to watch this, is that um, the the Tory messages, the culture war messages didn't matter, Richard. And you've been saying this all along, you know, the idea of people jumping up and down about, you know, bathrooms and um, and and small boats. That's not going to that's not the vote getter. That is actually the cost of living and, and the housing crisis that you're enduring.
2: Uh, it doesn't seem as though those issues um, cut through at all for the Tories, including the small boats one, which they're making such a big deal about wanting to make immigration the focus of their social agenda. Uh in many of the seats where or the councils where you would have expected that to be an issue what was called the red wall the places which voted for brexit and then abandoned labor there was a significant move back towards labor and so this is not working for them um nor are the other social issues frankly people couldn't give a damn about most of the identity politics that the tories are trying to make into a big deal so ella agenda matters um, and it matters, as we saw this weekend, where there were demonstrators arrested at the coronation without any good reason um, from an organisation called Republic in particular, who had given the police notice in advance of everything that they were going to do and were arrested nonetheless under new powers that were rushed through on the Tuesday before the coronation. OK, they passed Parliament, but they hadn't had royal assent and mysteriously Charlie Boy managed to put his signature on giving royal assent the Tuesday before his coronation so they could be used to keep the anti-monarchy demonstrators off the street last Saturday, which didn't really work, but has caused the most enormous backlash. But let's bring that back to Labour, because Labour was traditionally, and if you understand its history, and this is true of the Labour Party in Ireland as well as the Labour Party in the UK, A party of protest, Mm. a party of the working person, a party from the trade unions rooted in the idea that the working person has a right to be represented, has a demand to be made, which must be won by struggle, if necessary, and struggle being protest, strike. Whatever. And yet Labour is now lining up with the Tories to say, oh, no, we don't think protest is a good idea. We actually quite like these laws. We won't reverse them. Ministers, shadow ministers were queuing up to say on radio over the weekend, we wouldn't reverse this. And yet we've got the UN saying that this is a threat to human rights in the UK. Quite specifically, the UN condemning this law. And we've got a massive backlash right across the media. Now, you could call this is the woke elite that runs the BBC, Owen Sky, and ITV, and every newspaper who are doing this. Because, obviously, they're all a bunch of lefties without exception, and every newspaper in the country, um, all of whom have got concerns about this every... Single person in the media is a lefty, you didn't know that, but apparently they are because they're all up in arms about these arrests, and they are a breach of our civil liberties. And Labour is not standing up for it. it and can, can I can make a point? Weird for, place. Make a point for listeners' benefits. The
0: police have released a lot of people, all of these people, without any um, further action, is what they're saying. No further action. You know, they've literally had to. This is the this is the climb down after the fact that this was. You know, um, this is the kind of stuff that you would say happens maybe in an autocracy. Oh, that that you could have, protests yeah. removed from the street. Now, I, you know, we're not. I'm not going to suggest. Yeah, uh, there's a phrase we like to use. You're not. We're not saying you're a fascist, but you may be fasc curious. You may be fasc. You know, fasc adjacent. You may. You may. You may like. You may. You may just. You know, collect some of the the bobbleheads that uh, that you, that that they sell with uh, with some of the memorabilia and. All. But it's certainly. It's it's. Very uncomfortable, uh, the right to protest. And again, I want to put in, the, you're quite right to point out the Irish Labour movement was built on protest. That's where, that was well, its genesis. It has lost its way in in in, yes. in 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 so much. But but to hear Keir Starmer's uh, Labour talk about that they don't actually believe in this and they wouldn't reverse it, is 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 a dangerous um, precedent being set? Because what's the point then in, in, in voting for change if change is just the same but without maybe shouting about small boats.
2: Well, I mean, frankly, what we're getting from Labour now, and I'm far from alone in being disillusioned about this, and the Shadow Cabinet have noticed me shouting, West Streeting called me hysterical a little while ago on Twitter uh, because of my complaints. And frankly, well, Westreating, I'm sorry, I don't care what you wish to call me, you're just wrong. But the, the point is, Labour is actually backtracking on almost everything that they have committed to do. Um, and it's now got to the point where they won't support public sector workers. They won't support um, putting more money into the public services. They're pro austerity. They appear to be anti protest. And people are saying, "Well, what's the difference? This is Tory light."
1: But so let's pro Brexit. They are. They, I mean, there is no sign of them, even though there is is quite an impetus now in in the UK to have another crack at this Brexit. And there seems to be. There's no movement from Labour to say. We are the 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 party that'll give you a vote. They're they certainly
2: not. No, their line is very simple. I mean, I watched Emily Thornbury um for the you know, shadow foreign secretary giving it the other day. We've left, she said. That's it debate over nothing to be said and it's so much like that the books must be balanced per Rachel Reeves we've left the EU for Emily Thornberry we are going to reverse on a protest David Lammy these senior people are all basically saying no we're following the Tory line and hardly surprisingly people are looking at Liberal Democrats and Greens Uh, or the SNP in Scotland, um, applied in Wales and saying, hang on a minute, there are choices for us here and we're going to take those choices. And I'd actually think that Labour is suddenly believing it's going to take lots of seats in Scotland. Now, I know Scotland reasonably well because I'm pretty heavily in touch with its politics because I write a regular column in the national newspaper in Scotland, so I have to be. And I don't get that. I mean, somebody who is pro-independence isn't going to vote Labour because it's just okay, asking th- you to do something which is completely opposite to your fundamental belief whether Scotland should be independent or not so it's not there they're not going to win these seats so i think there's a real chance we're going to end up with a hang- hung parliament in um the uk so, next time so, yeah.
0: so so what you're saying is if we go back 3 months to when it, it was the opinion polls said it was a a tory wipeout and a labour majority government based on the on the opinion polls They've literally, you know, what, how you, what do you say? How do you make a small fortune? You squander a large one. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh, can I ask you about the greens, Richard? Because I think that's interesting that particularly the area of Suffolk, I know Suffolk, it's your leafy burbs really is what it is. It is quite a leafy, well off place. Is there a fear that the greens that you're getting are just Tories on bikes?
2: Uh, I really don't think that's likely to be the case based upon the people that I know in the Greens in East Anglia. Um, They're not like that. Um, The Greens are a bit variable. I mean, I'm not pretending there's a strong underlying pool of experience of government even because this is so unknown for them. I mean I know Caroline Lucas very well. She's our single green MP and Caroline and I have known each other for 15 odd years now. Um the leadership of the Greens Adam Ramsey is actually one of the people quite heavily involved in this Is co-leaders um of the the party. He's one of the two co-leaders and he's based in Suffolk and that, he's no wishy-washy soft tory alternative. These are people who are I mean, obviously going to have to deal with the constraints that are put on them by the budgets they give them by central government. But at their core, they have a fundamentally different approach to life from a Tory. Well, so I don't see that. The question is simple. Are they more red-green
0: than blue-green? Oh, they're more red-green well that's yeah. that, that's what we could because we we struggle with the green party here um with with the going into government and propping up a uh, a blue government you know and then they become yeah. they become the the green mudguard at the back of the bike and uh, and that's and that's what we're faced with can i can i bring us back to though what what we probably should have spoken about at the outset is is the uh, the ongoing banking crisis that when we spoke last, you know, we all we'd already said the contagion was in the system. Much of what you'd predicted has already come to pass. Three of the I think it's three of the four largest bank bailouts in history have already occurred in the last few weeks. Yep. Never mind, last few decades. All of these things have been coming uh, have been have been playing out, and yet the central banks and in your case, the Bank of England seems to be uh adopting the line the beatings will continue until morale improves richard
2: <laughs> you're right i mean we've had the most extraordinary pattern of bank failures i doubt that has ended in the usa as yet i suspect there will be more to come um why because people are still moving their money out of the regional banks where this problem of basically cash flow as a result of poor investment decision making because of the deregulation delivered by Donald Trump will continue. Um, and so the problem is not over. And de facto, the big banks, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley and so on, are being used by the US government to do the bailouts with massive state subsidies, exactly by the way, the pattern that we saw in Switzerland, where we saw yeah, UBS bailing out Credit Suisse um, with a massive state subsidy. Uh behind everything there is the state when it comes to banking. If you want a subsidy be a banker. Um in the UK, in the Fed, in the ECB we're seeing interest rates rise, creeping still ever upwards at quarter percent increases. You know the ECB has done its latest increase of a quarter percent, the Fed has done its latest increase of a quarter percent. You can guarantee that the Bank of England is going to do the same this week. And Goldman Sachs is now predicting, for example, that the UK interest rate is going to reach at least five percent, whereas at this moment of recording it's four and a quarter percent, and on Thursday I suspect it'll be four and a half percent. So we're still seeing it go up. If, and this is a big if, but I think it's a likely if, we see a major meltdown in the US over the debt ceiling vote, and with the Republicans refusing to increase the US debt ceiling. So that effectively the U.S. government can't issue new debt, which is what that would mean, and therefore has to stop spending on everything but essentials, which are covered by tax revenue. Then we could see yet more pressure on the financial markets because if the U.S. goes into default, and it is possible this time that the Republicans are so stupid that they might actually force that to happen. You
0: think Take they might actually be point. crazy? You think they might be crazy enough to just do it? I think so you know, I, right, think look, I, would, right. I will say I will say one thing Mitch McConnell only because he was so weak he, he gave, gave them the gift of saying they only need one person to object to him don't they now and and he can be He his, 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 his role as speaker can be kind of put up to a debate again so so they are you know you could have the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene um, deciding that, that
1: like we only discussed this last night with myself and Tony and I think I go with you Richard they certainly could They've I mean,
2: I didn't, I didn't used to think this, Martin, but I think I do now. I think you and I are aligned here against Tony, who's obviously, you know, leaves still in the reasonable a uh, Republican. Yeah. What a weird guy. <laughs> um, in the US context, we're talking there. Yeah, sorry, Tony, <laughs> but I've got to actually put you out for a drink somewhere. Um, <laughs> we did have a serious talking to. Um, look, the point here is, are the Republicans mad enough to do this to challenge Biden, knowing that they have a weak, or a weak choice of candidates for the presidential election knowing that biden has big spending plans knowing they want to derail them before he gets to really begin the re-election campaign why wouldn't they do this why wouldn't they well, want to knock his ira um i, I just bill. take a line from batman some men just want to see the world burn and that <laughs> is they really do. In public yeah, at the moment i think they do and oh, they won't care about the consequences but let's think about the consequences when i read a blog about this I think yesterday or the day before. One is we're going to see the global south in deep trouble because the US dollar is already in trouble, It's already incredibly expensive, and if there's any risk of default, the interest rate's going to go up again. The Fed's going to do that. Um, that means we're all going to see increased interest rates as well because the Fed is the base determinant of interest rates. If their rates go up, then ECB is going up, and so is the UK pound going up. So we're going to see yet yeah, Higher mortgage costs, yet bigger costs on other loans, and yet more <laughs> downward pressure on the economy and on households. And I mean, it's literally, you know, the US Republicans are going to be exporting misery to the world and a measure previously unseen is how I would interpret this. And I believe it's possible. And there are people, and I would describe Andrew Bailey at the Bank of England as one of them, who will take this gift from the US Republicans with open arms and push up interest rates to the highest level that he can possibly achieve, because that's what he's always wanted to do. It is as if there is a war going on. It's a, it's a class war. And if it's a class war, it's between the central bankers and the rest of us. And the central bankers, of course, represent a particular class group. Now, I don't think you have to be very um, left wing orientated and you don't have to be a Marxist to believe that's true. After all, Warren Buffett talked about a class war. Uh, I don't think he's very often accused of being a Marxist. Now, the point I'm making is that this just looks so glaringly obvious that there is a system here where the wealthy are going to get wealthier by interest rates going up and that's why the republicans are doing this and everybody else is going to get poorer and i think they even understand the consequences because actually when we come down to this increasing public debt increases private wealth that's right this is the absolute fact of life why because In accounting, in economics, just as in physics, every action has a reaction. If you increase government debt, somebody has to get the other side of the deal. The other side of the deal is the private sector gets wealthier because they've got more money. The government has injected more money into the economy. But the downside that the Republicans don't want to let happen is that that money goes to ordinary people through government spending. They want to restrict the number of people who have access to that sort of wealth. So their privately generated wealth remains intact and separates them from the rest. And I think that is the fight we're seeing going on. And that's what's absolutely at the core of this. Whether the government is allowed to deliver for everyone is the battle that's happening. And it's an absolute fight for democracy. But, but
0: the words you just used there, whether the government is allowed, points to one of these kind of things we know that's happened whereby many of us live in a corporocracy in a way. Where you know, where its cor- corporate interests come first. Uh, the like, we I I'm sitting in Dublin, Richard, and there's a we, we had a guy on from from the from uh, Stand Earth recently. who told us how our government via the IDA gave 10 million quid to City so they could actually pay police to kick Indigenous people off their land so they could drill for fossil fuels and nice you you know what i mean and that's irish taxpayers money going into one of the wealthiest conglomerates global conglomerates in the world to put money into the likes of exxon and gazprom and this is you know and then we're and we're all supposed to sit around and just say well ain't that good Mm. but these are these are cold hard facts and it's just it's 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 disconcerting because it goes back to what you and martin talk about a lot a tipping point between uh, how how much pain can the average family household take, uh, and how much can the government then you know use the because we you know in Ireland we're great for using social transfers to bridge the gap, but we need to move away from that because that's just crumbs from the table as opposed yeah. to a seed at the table. Uh, and when and where's that tipping point? And the UK is is really like going into dangerous territory here. And I'm not just saying because Liverpool fans stood up and sang, um, you know, fuck the Royals, uh, um, feed the poor. I'm not, you know, it, it goes far beyond a, a football chant.
2: Well, I quite like the Celtic version, which was you can stick the coronation it's up the your arse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um
2: I thought that was very well sung. Um, th- there is a fundamental problem here. I mean, new data um, from a reliable source, which magazine in the UK, which is, you know, obviously consumer-orientated, but considered pretty reliable, has suggested that 2 million people, 2 million households rather, in the UK missed a bill payment in the last month in the UK. And of those, 700,000 missed a rent or mortgage payment. Now, there are 27 million households in the UK, so you could say, oh, it's only one in 13, one in 14 who missed a bill payment. Hang on a minute. They might have, the others might have missed a bill payment the month before, how many people are really in trouble here? I think it's more than one in thirteen or so, which is six odd percent. I think we're talking about maybe ten percent of households are in a chronic debt problem of some sort, that's uh, which is just
1: that is significant,
2: and that's enough to actually create a real social crisis, um, a housing crisis. Seven hundred thousand people, seven hundred thousand families. Oh, yeah, and a family is normally two and a bit people um so that's one and a half million people or more who are at risk of losing their homes because they're behind on rent or mortgage payments we've got many more who are at risk of disconnection from gas electricity water i and so on well water you can't disconnect in the uk actually thankfully um the others you can um and now this is all the making of an absolute absolute social crisis of breakdown proportions i mean there's a massive feeling in the uk That the country doesn't work anymore and the reaction from both major political parties is well let's clamp down a bit harder then i mean today we have the absurdity in the uk and when i say today i'm talking on tuesday the 9th at the moment there's a bill going through the house of lords today which is going to make it illegal for five and a half million public sector workers to strike it's called the minimum service provision but the reality is the government can simply say you've got to turn up to work or else we'll fire you now that is a government that is showing complete contempt for the people who are working for it and if you show complete contempt for the people who are working for you they leave it's as if we're trying to undermine the effectiveness of any form of public services in this country and in celebration of the coronation This Monday, we had this wonderful help out day where we're all meant to volunteer and do good social work. And we saw the prime minister serving food to people who were being belittled by his patronising behaviour, because if only he paid more tax himself, they wouldn't need to be relying on a handout. But that's what he was doing. And we've got a crisis which is going to be uncontrollable. When we have that many people who literally can't afford to make their bill payments and it's going to be contagious because once they can't pay their landlords, their landlords then start to try to sell up their rental properties. Their rental properties are unsaleable because suddenly they're all trying to do the same thing and apparently one in five landlords in the UK are looking to sell up. And we then move into literally meltdown scene scenarios, it's, it's, and it's, it's, I I believe this is possible. I'm not trying to be a you know a Cassandra or if something. But you know, it, but I'm just it is, looking at It is the, term- the data set.
1: It is the terminal end uh, of neoliberalism.
0: Well, it's disaster. It is. It's, it's it's
2: disaster. Capitalism. It's it's. Disaster. I mean, we're living it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And yeah, you know, when Naomi Klein created that term, we all thought, "Yeah, that's possible." But now we are living it, and I think we're getting towards, as you say, the terminal end of this. And at the moment, there aren't people willing to talk about the alternatives, and they're there.
0: Um, what what, what you what, what you like to say? We need another song. Um, and yeah, we need another song to sing. There must be a better song to sing. Yeah, and I and I have to say, I'm a firm believer that there is a better song, and it is much more. Um, bottom up than top down but it it requires that huge mindset shift and maybe i'm calling me naive and myself and martin did a a podcast recently with uh, a really well-known john gibbons who's an excellent climate campaigner of many a decade now and he talked about how um
1: despondent he was martin didn't he yeah 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 and as i said to him i'm just finding a place to watch the end of it out somewhere nice (laughs) to watch the end of it (laughs) it out should (laughs) it
2: But I think I mean I'm not being you know <laughs> silly there martin you know I I've hit 65 since we last recorded um I'm I'm now what you know when I was young I thought was old um because 65 was when we got our pension of course we don't anymore I have to wait another year to get my pension, um, because that's one of the... Let, of unless, unless you're a Parisian and you're ready to go out yeah, the true. streets. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd be fighting on the streets. But the point is, yeah, I'm sort of at the older end now, and I find that a little shocking, a little unreal. Um, although my sons like to point it out to their father quite often... Um, but they tell me and their next job is to choose my care home, um, which is really kind of the Shamed pines, of <laughs> course. <laughs> I tell them I'm rewriting my will. Um, <laughs> this is the the relationship we're negotiating at the moment. But the point is, I may see it out. We may all see it out. But well, we're living with people who won't we're all you know the three of us on this podcast and before we went on air everyone by the way we were talking about our children we're all dads we've all got that concern we all know that there are other generations who are coming behind us and they're not going to be able to sit this out and for their sake then this is important and it's there that i expect the anger to eventually tip over because already they're asking questions which were unimaginable when i was you know a 20 early 20 year old 40 plus years ago i mean i didn't doubt that there was going to be a job a house a career some security a pension at the end of the day somehow or other yeah you could say i was comfortably middle class i had been to university and that's what university meant in those days and by the way not everybody in my family went to university so i'm not saying it was that comfortable and middle class but I got that security, and now they don't get that. And because they don't get that, they ask questions in a different way. And they need to be. The anger hasn't spilled over yet. But at some point, somebody's going to just say, hang on, this is enough. This really is enough. And I I think when
1: when that catalyst comes, it doesn't come over years. It happens
2: overnight. It does happen overnight. And that's when you begin to see things. Yeah this the surreal fact that celtic fans were saying it could stick the coronation up your ass now perhaps that's not so surprising as celtic fans but you know (laughs) liverpool fans yeah that's also perhaps not that surprising and yet it's only nine months ago in the uk that the queen was buried with vast amounts of respect and that institution has now lost the respect that there was for it and others are and the labor party is now moving very fast in that direction going back to one of our earlier themes Hmm. and are the alternatives and i heard your cynicism when you asked me the questions about the greens and it's appropriate uh, they're they're looking to other people for answers and it's not clear the other people have got the answers either and that's what worries me that there are all those people who think it's not working i'd be better off out of here and yet they can't find anyone to give them another clue. So yeah, I'm looking at launching a podcast as well, guys. We'll oh, I, I, we, we we've touched on this, and I'm definitely keen to hear that.
0: And like, is it? And and, and you're gonna you're gonna, it's not just with any old network. You're going you're going big, Richard. I believe yes.
2: Uh, well, look. There's a discussion of doing a number of items here. One is that um, I did a recent edition with Steve Keane, who I think you guys know.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Steve is another econo- uh, who was a big, a big believer in the power of, say, you know, universal basic services, universal basic income, and some of these
1: these aspects as well. If you well, don't call Steve it Murphy's is... Law, you are certainly missing a trick.
2: <laughs> well, I've thought about it, but unfortunately, that's already gone. <laughs> um so it's so it's likely to be called the account because that hasn't gone uh so the account is probably on its way but there's also going to be a version of instead of Steve keen and friends Richard Murphy and friends probably excellent um so we're going to do sort of some short punchy stuff um which is largely sort of educational material and then a punchy one um and Steve and I are meeting up very soon as well because yeah There are a few heterodox economists in the world. Yeah, the non-standard, the non-orthodox, that's the heterodox bit, um, who really are trying to look for alternative answers. Steve is one of the best, I'll be blunt about it. I mean, theoretically, incredibly strong. Um, I'm a noisy um, heterodox economist, um, I think it's fair to say, um, with strong political opinion. And we've got to be out there shouting about this because that is the way we get change.
0: I have one final question to you on that, though. I don't know if you saw it at all because there was consternation here and i know you keep a half an eye on on events in ireland but our Girl. president our president michael d higgins is known for going off script often enough and, and making statements when he's not supposed to make statements because he's just a, a a head of state with no with no powers but he upset the economic world by saying that the economists uh you know their their philosophy and their ideology specifically won't get it done uh, they won't. It won't. It won't help us move to the social um, revolution that we need to engage with the crisis that is climate action, climate change, and then you know climate force migration and the likes of those challenges. And yeah, even our Sunday newspapers were awash with economists saying, you know, he's he hasn't a clue. He's he's talking about uh, we don't teach econ- economics like that now. Can I can I ask you? Um, did you see it? and and, and what sort of? Even even just on how I've outlined it, what are your thoughts on it?
2: Well, the first thing we noticed about Michael Higgins in this household was that one of his dogs died. Um, <laughs> 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 My wife is a big fan of his dog's Twitter account. because um, They have one. And then I read that speech, and I thought it was a brilliant speech. I thought it was spot on. Um, You know, it's one of those examples of when you get to the top of a mountain, you meet a poet or a philosopher. And there was Michael Higgins standing way above the base camp where the economists are looking down and saying, you guys have got it wrong. He said neoliberalism has run out of road. He said growth has run out of road. The idea that we head for growth at all costs and that GDP is the measure of well-being are all wrong. Now, if he didn't say anything there that Robert Kennedy didn't say in nineteen sixty eight, shortly before he was shot. Yeah when he was uh, <laughs> running uh, and, and let's be clear about that, shortly before he was shot, when he was running to be US president in sixty eight, trying to keep the Democratic presidency alive, um you know, three five years after his brother was shot. Um so look, he said the right things. I thought the speech was spot on. His criticism of um what was being taught as economics is absolutely bang on and all their protestation that they don't teach economics like that is now to use a technical economic term bullshit Um, because they do teach economics like that and they guarantee that the people they recruit to teach economics believe that stuff because they've made sure you can't publish anything else. And therefore, you can't have a career as a professional economist in a university unless you believe that nonsense. Yeah, And yeah. that is one of the big problems. Any decent economist now does not have a title of professor of economics. They're doing geography. They're doing accountancy. They're doing international political economy. They're doing sociology. But they can't possibly be an economist because to be an economist, you have to teach this nonsense about profit maximizing companies, which is absolute crap um and you have to talk about the fact that we are all people who only care about basically our individual well-beings and have no compassion for anybody else, as if the whole world has had an empathy bypass. Now, that's what economists seem to think. And they're wrong. And I think Michael Higgins did a fantastic job and proved exactly why we need a different head of state in the UK, one muddled precisely on <laughs> the Irish presidential system, where they can stand up and make a speech like that, to a think. Well, like
1: well, to sort of stand up and make a speech, like I would have gone further. I would have said... Well, all right. I would have said phonology and economics are the same bloody thing. You know, <laughs> that's what I, I, I mean to I look at. No, 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 economics. no. I generally genuinely look at economists and think they are the witch doctors of this period. They're, it's a soft science. It, it's a, it, honest to God. It's not even a science. No. Look, we have
2: economists built in the model, not of Hayek and not of Friedman, but of James Buchanan. Mm. Now, if you want to get James Buchanan, read Democracy in Chains, and uh, I have suddenly gone blank on the author's name, Nancy, uh, I've forgotten. Brilliant book, read it. James Buchanan, little known, got a Nobel Prize, he created Public Choice Theory. And look, it's absolutely the basis for everything that we see now. Nancy McLean. Nancy McLean. Yeah, and she's a historian and she just tore his whole thinking to shreds in that book. It's brilliant. And the point is that actually this type of economics, they know it's wrong. They know it doesn't work. They know it's all about reinforcing power structures. They know that the power they're reinforcing is that of far-right capitalists. They know it's anti-democratic. They know the tax havens which they support are the means by which they sustain this disparity of wealth which is so gross within our world. And they continue to push out the economics that supports that as if it is what young people in universities should know to prepare them for life. Life as economists making decisions that impact us all and that yeah absolutely is a travesty of every form of justice you could think of and it is witch doctoring and it, we saw ultimately that in the UK and Liz Truss didn't last long um, because she was so personally incompetent but the reality is Sunak isn't far away from that and frankly neither and I'm going to go back to that theme again does it look like Labour are very far apart from that uh, far from that here and of course we've seen it I mean, where is the opposition in Ireland? <laughs> we have too much common ground around a particular economic narrative in Ireland as well. And the Irish, it, the uh, Irish miracle is really like they literally refer to tax avoidance as the gift, the goose that laid the golden egg. Yeah, you're in, you're in government surplus. I mean, what a stupid idea! Government surplus is. You're literally destroying private wealth. Every time you actually pay tax to trade the government surplus, you destroy private wealth. You make the country more impoverished in reality. That's what a government surplus does. But, but Richard, uh, can can I just go
0: back to the Irish example really quickly? Are uh, aren't boasting about this surplus that we're going to have for at least three years now and i see we've added an additional in the most recent stats that we have up, up to the quarter according to social justice ireland people get upset say oh they lean left of course they do They're call social justice ireland now <laughs> uh, we've created we've created another 140 116 thousand working poor yes it's phenomenal that you can do that and then say on the maybe they maybe they can eat gdp and feel better about
2: themselves but also, you've not only created 116,000 working poor. How many people who have you created who are kipping on their friends' couches because there's nowhere else to stay, because the homeless problem is real, and that's in a country where it's perfectly possible to have houses for everyone, in principle? Uh, on that cheery note,
1: Richard, we will leave it there, and we will let you go back to it, Doctor Rick. Thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with us, Richard.
0: I'm glad this is a, a, a an audio medium, folks, because you don't have to see. Richard is always bunting up. He has his his, his coronation mm-hmm. memorabilia, mm-hmm. festooning the, the the bookshelves. He's replaced all of his books with biographies of 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 monarchs, and it's it's quite it's quite a thing. But no, Richard, honestly, thank you so much. We love having these conversations with you. Uh, sometimes we we do plan them out, and then they just go where they want to go in the end. So <laughs> that's what gets that happen. Uh, listen, folks, we have lots coming out uh, over the next over. The next few weeks but i would like a little bit of feedback from you guys as well as as what we want to see coming out out at the end of the summer and i think we've got some more things if the other fellow is able to stand on his feet we'll have some more news for you as well we'll talk to you all very very soon thanks for the support thanks for listening and take care of yourselves bye-bye tony
2: and martin martin and tony speaking to interesting people only it's the Subscribe now on Patreon.